nice. Good. I was, nice. Good call. Problem is, I didn't get any of that conversation with Chris on recording. Dummy. I didn't. Hit what? Re- I didn't hit record. I thought I did. Dude, that was Should, gold. I'll, don't worry. If we want, we can get him back up here, and I can make him say literally the exact same thing. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. No. I, liked, I liked his uh, assessment of how nervous he was at his first confession. Five out of ten. Five. Yeah. And you're like, why five? five. He's like, because I was a little nervous. <laughs> Yeah. Admittedly nervous, but I never peed myself. <laughs> but not too nervous. Yeah, I wasn't shaking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, dude, Chris it fights bears, ins- man. Yeah, he does. He wasn't that nervous. Mm-hmm. Father Connor, have you heard that story? No. Oh, about amazing. Chris and the, and the bear. All right, so I'll just. This doesn't really have anything to do with Christmas, but it is does it, have to do with Chris. Is this the one where he sawed up the uh, swing set? That was another brother. <laughs> oh no, that's. That's Greg, yeah. That's another brother. <laughs> Greg's like nineteen now. Okay. Is he nineteen? Yeah, he's nineteen. Um, but he said that he saw so a bear cri- destroy the swing set. That's the one I remember. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said a bear attacked our swing set <laughs> when it was just he used a saw and couldn't help himself. He wanted to cut some wood. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, I get it, but we don't have any bears around here. That's so. Um, <laughs> So Chris and Joe and Mark, so the three youngest boys and my dad, oh, and John Paul. So there was five, five of them were doing a hike. They were just cruising through like the North Georgia mountains. They had all this equipment. They, I think they actually like brought tents and spent the night out there. But I guess at one point when they were doing the hike out, um, my dad looked over and saw a cub. That was relatively close to them, um, but close enough to say, like, okay, we need to be aware of this. We need to be looking out. And we're not sure exactly what type of bear it was. Um, But then turns around and sees the mama bear kind of not on the other side of them, but um, there it it could have been perceived that, like, we were getting close to her, her cub. And so my dad starts saying, like, hey, we need to walk slowly backwards or walk in the opposite direction of where these bears are going. And he turns around, he's like giving instructions like, Hey, you need to, uh, John Paul, you need to go around and grab my Glock and give it to me so that I can, you know, hopefully fight off a bear or something like that, have some defense. And as he's turning around, he looks and Joe and Mark, who are the two older of the young boys are (laughs) like getting ready to run, getting ready to move. And Chris, who's the youngest, I guess at this point he would have been seven, he looks down and Chris has his little pocket knife out and he is in a stance of like, I'm ready to attack this bear in case it comes lunging after us with a pocket knife as a seven-year-old. My dad's like, Chris, put that away, man. What are you doing? You gotta get ready to go, man. But in Chris's head, he was about to stab that bear and right. kill it. Like ridiculous That's man hilarious. everyone else is ready to go and chris is ready to stab this thing so he so that's he like honestly un- the type of guy that chris is he unsheathed his pocket like he pulled out the main blade of his pocket knife yeah he, he, he took it out of his pocket and had it ready 
in a crouched position with it out, you know, like ready to attack just that in case. That is hysterical, dude. A seven-year-old. Oh, my gosh. That's the kind I mean, of seven-year-old yeah. I wish I had been. I would not have done that. <laughs> no, I, I definitely would not have done I would that. Have, yeah. I would have probably cried. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's pretty dang tough, man. He's, uh, That's cool. Honestly, I think we created a monster. I'm not certain. Because in his head, there's nothing that he can't do. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> Pray for him. So, <laughs> I don't even know what I want to say about this movie, but you, did you guys watch that preview for Manchester by the Sea? Yeah, I had, I had seen the preview, and it looks, it looks super good. I'm going to try to see it sometime over the next couple of weeks. But, uh, Dude, it, it completely it destroyed intense, me. It's impossible to describe. You, you said in the text it was the most remarkable movie you've ever seen. That's yeah. a pretty bold statement. Yeah, and remarkable I choose kind of intentionally because I can't think of it. It wasn't like the best right. movie. It wasn't my favorite movie, but I've just mm. never seen anything like it. Wow. I, I don't. I don't want to spoil any the of the trailer. plot, but it, yeah. it's unbelievable how well acted it is, how real everything is and and it was just it's just this story of life and uh, like some tragedies in it um nothing is sentimentalized nothing is is sort of sugared over or anything like that but it's also not just nihilistic or Hmm. ugly Um, yeah but at the very end there was just this one thing it just kind of tripped me Uh, um And it wasn't even like part of the main plot. It was just like a side conversation. And then all of a sudden, like the whole reality of of the whole story fell on me. But then like life and the tragedy of the tragedy and beauty of all of life. And maybe it's because of the last three years of burying people and being with them when they're dying and going to the hospital and talking to people and their brokenness. But I just feel more like I have a deeper reservoir. I'm like an older person now, a deeper reservoir of, mm. of experience to apply to a situation like that, you know? Um, right. Yeah. But again, I don't want to spoil any of the movie, but definitely worth seeing. Mm. It was a weird yeah, movie so to watch on I, Christmas though. I have to say, I did. I literally, on I feel like the podcast is just us talking about what things made us cry, but I <laughs> I was with my family and I started crying at the end of the movie and I thought, okay, well, it's over now. So I, I said to my mom, wow, that was, I've never seen anything like that. And she's like, did you like it? I was like, I don't know. I started crying at the end and then she's like, why? And I started talking about why and I started crying again. I was like, never mind. And I had to go to the bathroom anyway. So I just go into a <laughs> stall and literally <laughs> cried for like four minutes. Oh man! I felt like a total wow. baby. That don't worry about wow. it, mom. You don't even understand. <laughs> uh, wow. It's Christmas too. Dude, so. The reviews on that thing too. I mean, just I think like it might have been during the trailer, but like, is it Casey Affleck? Is that yeah. the actor who is it? an awesome actor? I, mean, was, I like pretty much everything he's in. That I had seen a couple things, and I was gonna. I'm yeah, like I have thought he's good before but i think the the quote like on the trailer was casey affleck joins the ranks of giants with this Mm -hmm. performance 
And I was like, dang, dude, that's that's pretty pretty bold statements. Mm-hmm. Superb acting on everybody's part, but especially him. Mm. Especially yeah, him. I, I hadn't seen hadn't seen any of the trailers, so I have no clue what the story is about. But I I was talking to Paul Porter on the phone yesterday, and uh, oh, he said that he also saw it and said that it was just really good. But he described it as um, a movie essentially where it portrays a world without Jesus. And he said there's no redemptive qualities to it. Mm. Not not no, no redemptive qualities in the movie. They don't have anything redeemable in it. Yeah. I'd say that's reductionist. I see what he's saying, but it's a bit reductive. Um. <laughs> yeah. And I just, because I had just gotten that text from you, and then Porter calls and... And said that, and I was like, "Hmm, I wonder." I, I mean, I'm. Both of those things mean that it's uh, obviously a very good movie, mm-hmm. or at least a thought-provoking movie. Um, well, do you want to talk a little bit about? I don't know, maybe like what it hit. Was it just thinking of all the people that you've buried? And no, it was nothing specific. That's why it's it's kind death. of difficult to talk about. Maybe that's what I liked about it so much was that it wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, what's the message here or what's the narrative um, of sort of like fall and redemption. And it was just what it was almost like it wasn't like a movie in the sense that everything that happened, all the conversations, like exactly like you think it would be in real life. Um, mm. Like the, the very beginning, it's the whole premise is that this guy who's a handyman in Boston his brother has congestive heart failure, his older brother, and he dies at the very beginning. And he has to go to Manchester, which is this kind of um, fishing town in Massachusetts, and like take care of all the arrangements and everything. And he has a 16-year-old mm-hmm. son, and he has to like tell his tell the kid what happened and everything like that. And like the very first scene, not very first, but when he first gets to this town is the hospital and the guy's already died. He had a heart attack mm. and just the, the scene in the hospital, like down to the conversations with the nurses and the signing of the papers. It was, I was almost like, how long is this movie going to take? Cause they're not omitting any details. Um, right. And at first I didn't know if I liked that cause you know, they're not moving a story along. They're not just, like setting, doing a scene to explain what's happening. They're showing you everything. Um, and that's, it It got me, man. Like, because the characters are so compelling too. Casey Affleck's person, you're just like, what is up with this guy? You know, he's so broken, but you don't know why. And then they kind of show you through what's going on. You and, said and he's so what? Broken. He's a broken, broken human mm-hmm. being. And you find out why through these flashbacks and stuff and, yeah, by the time they by the time it's over, they have you keyed up about I don't know, sympathizing with him and with everybody. But anyways, what was weird about it too is that uh so we go back and have Christmas and it was nice and um did some presents and I got an espresso machine for my dad, which I've been asking for for a while cool. and I, I didn't think I was ever, ever going to get cuz it's kind of an expensive gift, but he got he got the same kind that he has, which is this really old, I don't know what decade it's from. 
but he got it online and then fixed like some, um, what do you call those rubber ring things uh, that make a seal gasket? A gasket? Uh, yeah. And they did a new gasket and a couple other things. And uh, it's pretty, pretty legit. I'm super stoked. I made two coffees yesterday. It's <laughs> Having a new espresso machine, you're like, I want to make coffee. But if you drink coffee all day, you're going to kill yourself, <laughs> especially espresso. <laughs> but uh, Prove it. So it was a joyful Christmas. But then there was also my aunt had put on DVD all these old family movies from my mom's side um, from like the 80s, the early to mid 80s. So I was born in 85. So I start showing up near the end of these movies. Um, right. And my grandpa, like starting in 1981, my grandpa who passed away a couple of years ago, um, would sit every family down. So it was like the end of Christmas and we're all over at grandma and grandpa's house. And he would make everybody get their fancy clothes back on because it was, you know, you'd long since gone to church and done presents and eaten dinner. But now we've turned on the video camera and get in front of the Christmas tree and do kind of Johnny Carson style interviews about how the year has been going. And he had, hmm. he had eight kids. My mom's the oldest. So he'd sit down every family with their kids and, just interview them like uh the dad like how's your job going you know oh that's so funny yeah so we, we wow. get to see our all our aunts and uncles and my mom and dad and my older brother as a little boy uh hmm. it was cool <clears throat> but it's also kind of eerie especially when i start showing up as a baby and then as a like a three-year-old whining to my mom because i wanted a squirt gun and you're like you're like looking at this person is that me that nothing hmm. I don't remember any of these things. I remember sort of the general experience of being, it was a Memorial Day barbecue and there was a pool. I remember the place, but I don't remember any of these events. And uh, right. it's just sort of an eerie out of body experience. And maybe all of this was set up by the fact that I, I read last week, the week before Christmas, I read Lost in the Cosmos. You read that, right, Mike? No, I never did. No. No. Yeah, I Walker Percy. Yeah. yeah. So he that the whole premise of that book it's kind of satirical but it's also philosophical about how the self the human person is this unique thing in the universe that can understand everything or most things in the universe uh like it can know where the moons of Jupiter are and the theory of gravitation and even psychologically you can categorize people but you can never know yourself that's the only thing kind of off limits to the self's own consciousness is its self like who am i what am i doing here and that's why the thing is like you're lost in the cosmos because hmm. you're out there in this sort of orbit around the world knowing it but you can't get in it you can't put yourself in it where am i you know and why he kind of points out like horoscopes yeah, every horoscope can apply to you because you don't know who you are yeah like you're a Pisces, so you hate being betrayed, but you're also secretly kind of a traitor. You know, you're like, oh man, that's so true. But then they're also, the, you know, if you're a Taurus, you're you're heroic and love life, and your enthusiasm is contagious. You're like, I'm kind of like that too, you know. Hmm. Um. So, I kind of preached on that at at Christmas, because he says at the end of the book, after this long <clears throat> sort of excursus or short story on um, 
sort of based on Canical for Leibowitz. It's the, the premise is that these people uh, go off to try to find uh, intelligent life on a distant planet because they got some kind of signal that looked like intelligence. Uh, but they have to travel near the speed of light. So it, it takes them 18 years to get there and back. But 500 years have passed on Earth. And when they get back, everything's destroyed. And there was no intelligent life. It was just a mix-up. And there's just a few people left. And one of them is a Catholic monk. Um, hmm. And one's like a scientist who wants to take their spaceship back out to one of the moons of Jupiter and colonize it. Because the fallout from the nuclear war has made everyone sterile. But the priest wants to stay because he might be the last priest, which means he's the Pope and he has to keep the church alive until Jesus comes back. And so oh, wow. they have to choose between do we stay in like North Carolina in this place that was pretty f uh, far from the blast zone and see if we can just make it with the people we got or do we go to Jupiter? So it's like, do you use science or which seems pretty crazy, you know, like it's possible, but hmm. uh like go to the moon of Jupiter and live on this ice planet or whatever and try to make it through your own ingenuity? Or do you just stay and say, well, Jesus said he wouldn't abandon us. So even though it looks pretty bleak, we're going to stay here. Wow. And so he kind of po points to the fact that like at that point, both are absurd. Mm -hmm. So which do you take? And then it's all boiling down to this law of the cosmos, which he said, this is what I started my Christmas homily with. Is that um, if you're a, a big enough fool to climb a tree and like a cat refuse to come down, then someone who loves you has to make himself look as big a fool to come rescue you. Hmm. Um, which to me is like the, the whole incarnation that he had to come get us and risk kind of looking ridiculous. You know, you what we talked about last time, you worship a piece of bread or you worship a baby and... Um, <laughs> But then that's how he rescues us and teaches us what we're doing here and what our place in the cosmos really is. You know, he corrects all of our illusions about ourselves. Um, hmm. So anyways, a lot of the a lot of deep thoughts and yeah, deep feelings, but a good Christmas. That is a very existential Christmas, man. Yeah, I know. Nice. It wasn't what I it wasn't nice. what I asked for. I asked for a little brother. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted a puppy, dude. Dang. That's <laughs> unreal. <clears throat> um, I, I don't know. When you were talking, I guess I'll just share this. has been a grace, like, really since I've been home. Um, but getting home, like, has been really, really good. It's been nice to spend time with family, kind of prepping for the Holy Land as well. And Mets, like three weeks from now, we'll be in the Holy Land, man. Yeah. Do you realize yeah. that? That's no, I do not. Yeah. Um, Which means we're probably going to have spotty podcasting, probably. Yeah. We'll demand that they give us the bandwidth we need. But yes, it's possible that we have spotty podcasting. Um, I don't know. You've been there, Connor. What do you think the reality is of getting some casting in? I could probably do one or two, but you guys are going to be Busy traveling around, sightseeing. Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi won't be abundant. Okay. Well, so just soak it in, and we'll podcast about it when you get back. Sounds good. But sounds take good. the equipment in case we can. Yeah, sure. Um. Anyway, long story short, I don't want to. Yeah, but I've been like prepping for that. Honestly, doing like ordination invites and stuff like that, getting real. And I don't know, just a couple things like I've been stressing 
stressing me out, like ongoing, ongoing things. And uh, I realized as I was, I was thinking I was doing like office of readings one morning and I realized I was like, man, I just have, this sounds so simple, like absurdly simple, but just like a lack of faith and like the virtue of um, faith that, you know, apparently I can't give myself and it was a really like felt thing for for me. It's like I just don't have faith. That's a reality. And so I was doing this uh, novena towards Christmas that some Carmelites in Terre Haute had sent out anyway. So it was like what I prayed for. It was like just give me faith, um, Lord. Just give me that. That's what I want. Just give me faith in this kind of like ridiculous story that I believe is true. And I guess in some ways it was also existential, or certainly like emotional um to me but i really felt like that prayer was granted in a really cool way of just like um like the peace that god can can give in like some unknown times or whatever and uh so anyway i know that sounds crazy simple but i felt like for christmas i just prayed for faith and got it at a very <laughs> like subjective level um, so there you go. That sounds like an awesome Christmas. Isn't that pretty cool? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is very cool. But it was just a reminder of like even that, like even um I don't know, when you were talking about the the notion of like that dilemma in the the cosmos book disc of like, well, we could go to Jupiter or we could, you know, kind of hold to like you know, Jesus said he wouldn't abandon us and come and come back. Um, I don't know. I just kind of like felt that related, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit there. Uh, and it just, I, I guess that was just re- like the last few weeks for me, it's just been a reminder of like faith isn't anything we build up or give ourselves, um, thoughts. Amen, dude. Yeah. You cannot give yourself faith. Yeah. It's very, very true. I was thinking about that mm-hmm. this morning cause it's feast of St. John. Yeah. And, uh, I was, I love the opening as it is first letter. It says, we, we hand on to you what we've seen and heard um, and touched with our hands mm-hmm. and everything like that. Like the, yeah. I always think it's cool, the feasts after Christmas, like St. Stephen, the first <sighs> martyr, St. John, the Holy Innocents. They're kind of some of the most complicated and uh, mysterious yeah. saints, you know, um, particularly See, that, John. Uh, Oh, that's true. I was going to say that offense of reading for Stephen yesterday is mm-hmm. so baller. Yeah. When it talks about Paul has no shame now for Stephen's death and Stephen like greets Paul as a companion. Mm-hmm. Um, that is just a cool story. If I, nothing, I was thinking about that when I read the gospel or was it the Acts of the Apostles where they're laying their cloaks at a feet of a man named Saul. I was just thinking yeah. to myself like this guy. You know, this wasn't what converted him. You know, you typically think that the right. blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, you know. Mm-hmm. But Paul, a.k.a. Saul, was sure that stoning this guy was the right thing to do. Yeah. And to go from that, to have that in your, you know, we think about our pasts and, you know, shames and sins that we've we've dumped at the foot of the cross and think like, oh, man, God's really saved me. And I believe mm-hmm. that. Right. Um, and I do feel that way. But a guy like Paul, I mean, you killed Stephen. You were consenting to his death. 
Mm-hmm. That's insane. Yeah. And just that notion of, I remember that line from yesterday that uh, he has no shame at Stephen's death now. Yeah. I, that's a, I don't even know. I don't even know how to like dive into that, honestly. But it's pretty cool, if nothing else. You talk about shame bearer. Yeah. Well, I, I just think it's cool that the, the feasts after Christmas are not like sentimental Christmassy feast. You know, they are, <laughs> yeah, that is true. They're a real deal. The holy innocence. Paschal man. mystery. Even St. John, like today, he's at the yep. empty tomb is the gospel reading. Yep. Mm-hmm. You think, why? you know, that's an Easter reading. But um, you talk about we can see and hear and touch the word of God, the logos. That's in the Mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Church is the Mass, basically. And the Mass makes the Church. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, Behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. It, I, I just think it's all the Mass. Why am I a priest? Why did I choose this? Because of the Mass. Mm-hmm. And the Mass has the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, Pentecost, everything. Like, listen to the Eucharistic prayer. It's all in that mystery of the sacramental body and blood of christ and so christmas is like this breaking in thing where now he's with us but it's all a process like him coming down to us to bring us up to where he is and as i'm there's this one guy who can't make it to rcia on the night we have it so i've been just kind of one-on-one talking to him he's a good guy speaks spanish but really doesn't know much about his faith. And I have this diagram I drew last year, I think, uh, basically Hennessy's deep yogurt yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. diagram. Oh, yeah. But I, I did it in like eight <clears throat> panels. So you start with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit above, and Adam and Eve with smiles on their faces and nothing in between them. And then the next panel is sin and death is between them. And then God trying to send down covenants, but us unable to keep them. And then finally, the Son, the second person of the Trinity, I circle the S and draw an arrow down through and there's a baby in the arms of Mary. And then the next panels are like him grown, him crucified, him resurrected, and then him at the right hand. So I I still have the down arrow uh, from when he came down and then the up arrow to when he went up. And then all of us, like then the last one is the Holy Spirit comes down and all of us get to take that route up to the right hand of the father where the son is and something about you know some people are visual learners some people are more verbal but it was cool just watching this guy's face sort of get that when i pointed when i kind of like traced my finger over the arrow of like the sun comes down and we go up yeah mm-hmm. like oh yeah <laughs> yeah um and something about seeing someone else get it makes you sort of get it hmm. I, I love teaching for that reason um I remember having one of those moments teaching a, it was one of the girls from internship that couldn't make it to all the confirmation classes. So the pastor was just like, just bring her in one-on-one and do like an hour, you know, for a couple of weeks for all the classes that she missed. And I did that same diagram of just like the going down and coming up through incorporation into Jesus, into his body, through the sacraments. And it just clicked. Like... (laughs) Yeah, she just gets it, man. That that super simple diagram from Father Hennessy, I will use that forever. Yep, it mm-hmm. it is it is so simple. Um, 
That's why he says yeah. it every single time he teaches a class. Yeah, he, we just had true. him probably like a week or two before break let out. And it gave me, I had seen him do it before, and it gave me chills. Like just, yeah, hearing him describe like the most basic, um, most basic description of the Paschal Mystery or whatever you want to call like that diagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was awesome. Um, yeah, you know, it is interesting to think about uh, the the thought that always that occurred to me this year is after Christmas we have Stephen and then John and he said the, when exactly is the Holy Innocence tomorrow? It's tomorrow. Okay, um, maybe 28th. not so much. Yeah, not maybe not so much John, but at least Stephen and the Holy Innocence is. I always think of the analogy or the uh, the reality that Fulton Sheen points to in the life of Christ is that even at the baptism or even at the birth of Jesus the cross like the the shadow of the cross is always looming over him and that's the reality that he's born into is the the cross is always there and so it's it's just interesting how the church pairs the birth of Christ the nativity and then immediately the next day has the first martyr of the church so it's like nativity and yet even the cross is like just the next day you can see the reality of being a witness to the revelation of Jesus on earth. And, and then the Holy Feast of the Holy Innocence is right after that. But the church doesn't hold any punches there. Mm. We're going from the birth of Jesus, the incarnation, to the result of like the, the first Christian being martyred right there, um, which I think is the, you know, the birth, the life, and the death all being witnessed to right there, summed up in the, I mean, the Christmas octave is full blast that's high high octane celebration right there yeah i think that what you just said is exactly what got me about this movie um that again i don't want to circle i don't want to spoil in any way Mm -hmm. but do it the um (laughs) you do absolutely want to i do want to but it it, it would be pointless (laughs) it would be totally pointless because it wouldn't you have to just see it um but the the truth of that statement that the cross is always there mm-hmm. um, because there's beauty. I, what I don't agree with Paul on is that there's no redemption because the, the redemption is not like a neat. It doesn't take you to the end of the story where everybody's happy in heaven. That's for sure. You know, uh, it just shows you what life is like here on this side of, of death, which is there's beauty in love and family and, there is also deep agony and suffering. Hmm. And everyone, it's like that Father Stan Fortuna song. Fool, you don't think you got to suffer? You ever, you ever heard that? Can't say I have. Rich and no. poor got to suffer. He's, a, he's the rapper priest. You haven't seen him? Oh, he's I, a CFR. I have, okay. I don't, I don't know about the song, but I do know that guy, what okay. you're talking about. Yeah. Anyways, it's all about every, everybody's got to suffer. And that's... That's the truth, man. No matter where you came from, where you're going, the path is total uh, annihilation. That's what the cross really is. That's what's so insane and beautiful and and horrifying about our story is that you, to enter into the fullness of life and existence, you have to be completely annihilated. Dude, that's, that is... I was just, I was going to make some joke and say like, oh, Merry Christmas, everybody, um, after <laughs> said that, 
But even that, like, I don't know, that rings very true. Like, every family, I think, feels that in a particular way at Christmas. Like, every family this, you know, two days ago, you know, didn't have a loved one there that they wished was there. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. You just know it's as good as it is. I mean, yeah, like, as good as it can be, it's still not... It's not perfect, that's for sure. It's mixed in with a lot of other stuff. Um, so no, even even like right now, that um, that kind of is like a Christmas message. Relax. Over the break, I did serve a funeral though, and uh, it was actually really really difficult, and I did some some serious crying as well. Uh, You're we such a wimp. <laughs> well, in, if I can say this, okay, in my defense, is it was like the most epic funeral I think I've ever been to. So mm. a priest, a priest of the diocese, his dad died, mm. and his dad was an Annapolis grad and had eleven children, and all of his children are like these amazing, beautiful people. Two of them are priests. One's in the convent. They have all these children running around. And so the priest, he buried his own dad and went up to Georgia National Cemetery and they played tabs, had a 21 gun salute. Wow. And it was like this absurd combination of death and life all present at the same time with all of his grandchildren running around and like seeing him incense his own dad's casket. And then like they drape an American flag over it and drop him in a hearse. It was. It was absolutely remarkable. Um, but I do remember afterwards when I was driving home, I stopped at a Waffle House and like had just finished all these liturgies from the, um, from the commendation of the body to the, to the mass, all this stuff. So I go into this Waffle House all by myself. I'm emotionally, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm just like, I'm a wreck. And I can't, there's like no st- emotional stability here. I just want to be by myself and figure out what's going on interiorly. And I walk into this Waffle House in North Georgia, and I'm still in my cassock because I just served this mass. And everyone's looking at me like I have eight eyes. And <laughs> for the rest of the day, it was just like, it was like everything had been turned up inside. And I was just ready to cry on a whim. I don't, the, the emotional volatility was so weird and by the by the evening i guess it was it was back to normal but yeah there was something about that experience of just having it all brought up and like seeing a baby i'm like oh my gosh yeah was, <laughs> and i don't even know what's going on I right know exactly now exactly what you're saying though uh, it was so weird mm-hmm. yeah and i like watching watching a movie later and I, you know, I start tearing up. I'm like, "What is happening?" They're, they're singing Christmas carols, and it makes no sense. Why? Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying, man. I think we're just growing up and growing into this whole thing. And when you see it, especially you know, on the on the front lines of how it all gets worked out with fear and trembling, you, even just looking at a baby, you know something about life, the mystery of life that. You would rather, you know, it's not like you would rather not know. You'd remain ignorant and just, you know, not understand how deep the alienation of of humankind is. Hmm. Because if you don't understand how badly we've screwed up, 
you can't get how beautiful it is that we're saved. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball.